Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Politics by Faith. Mike Slater, thanks for being here. If you're new to the podcast, the point of us being here is I and everyone I know has been getting way too anxious about the news, but we don't want to check out of the news because it's important. So what do we do? That's why we're here. So we'll give you the top story of the day, what you need to know. We'll describe it, break it down. Lament the brokenness in it. Lean into the anxiety and the pain and the disappointment or whatever it is. And then give some historical perspective because there's nothing new under the sun. And then some biblical peace so that we can go to sleep at night and wake up refreshed, clear-eyed, ready to fight another day. That's why we're here. And I'm grateful that you're here right now. Quick update before we go about my son. Thank you for all of the emails you've sent and prayers. James is doing much better. He's still in the NICU. Uh, we hope he'll come home this weekend with a feeding tube, but we'll take it. That's awesome. He's gone two, three days now without any oxygen. So praise God. That's unbelievable. Um, now he's just got to get bigger and stronger and we're very grateful that the hospital will let us take him home and, and help feed him with the feeding tube uh, moving forward until he gets big and strong enough to eat fully on his own. So thank you for all your prayers. It's, it's been a time. <laughs> we are tired, but ready for baby James to come home. Story of the day. I'm very excited for today's episode because I am very excited for the 2024 election. I'm excited for the process. It's going to be fun. Oh, at, at times, horrific, <laughs> but also it, it, big picture, very fun. Happy Warrior. Remember Tuesday's episode? If you haven't listened to it yet, go back, listen to it. Happy Warrior. No more grumbling, Slater. It's time for a better attitude. Take on the attitude of a happy warrior. So today, I want to talk about Donald J. Trump running for president. Here's a first, I don't want to call it advice, but just... Thing to think about if you don't like donald trump or if you're tired of donald trump and you're you don't want him to run again don't get too angry about it yet just kind of like lay lay low if you love donald trump don't get too excited about it i think it's a long process you know it's a long way to go it's a marathon well that's what they told us when we showed up at the nicu a couple weeks ago it's not a sprint and i don't want any coronations I want everyone to duke it out and may the best man win and then be ready and strong going into the primary. Trump wants to be the first president since Grover Cleveland to win non-consecutive terms for president. His, he won, then lost, then won again in 1888. Teddy Roosevelt tried. He, he won twice and then lost and then tried again and, and lost in 1912. So either way, there's precedent. So for whatever happens with Trump, whether he wins or loses, uh, it's been done before. Nothing new under the sun. Sometime next week, uh, 
I want to talk about a word that Donald Trump used in his announcement speech that was very unusual. It stood out right away. And it's brilliant for him to use it. What's, do you know, you, of course, you know what Trump's motto is, right? Trump's campaign slogan. It's always make America great again. But he added a word. Did you catch it? He added a word in the announcement. He added a word to make America great again. It's now make America great and glorious again. He's added glory to his campaign. And that's not by accident. So we're going to analyze that hopefully next week. Stay tuned for that. So let's take a couple minutes, get a little lay of the land here. Let's review how we got here. Sort of like the last two weeks in the NICU has been a bit of a blur in many ways. These last seven years with Trump as president or running for president has been a bit of a blur as well. So let's make sure our stories line up. Here's how I see things. Trump has always wanted to be president of the United States. Because when your life is dedicated to being the best, which from a very young age was drilled into him by his father. His dad was a real estate developer in Queens, built his stuff in Queens, Brooklyn, and Staten Island. And his son, Donald, wanted to follow dad's footsteps in real estate, but needed to exceed his father. And the only way to do that was to go to Manhattan. It's not far away. It's right there. It's just over that bridge, but it's a world away. So Donald Trump, from a very young age, has always wanted to be the best. He saw the world in binary terms. You're either the, the victor or the loser. You're either a success or a failure. That comes from his dad. So Donald Trump has always wanted to be the best. Now, if that's true, and it is, then there's nothing higher than the president of the United States of America. You're the leader of the free world. So he's always wanted to be president. And 2016 wasn't his first hint. 1987, he ran a full newspaper ad talking about foreign policy and the need to eliminate the, the federal debt. Now, this is 1987. He was on Donahue. It's a great interview. You should you, you watch it on YouTube. I'm going to play a clip of it in a minute. He, uh, people kept asking him if, he's, if you're ever going to run for office. It was 1987. So this has always been a thing. And he hinted at running in 2000, then again in 2012, which is why. So, so it's, it's always been this like on again, is it will he, won't he kind of thing. And then when he decided to run in 2016, officially the media went nuts. They went nuts with excitement. Don't forget that. They didn't hate Donald Trump at first. They were thrilled that he was running because he was hilarious and it was awesome. And the media, everyone gave him as much airtime as possible. Instantly, no other Republican candidate existed. Jeb Bush was the one who was going to walk away and win the nomination. Everyone knew Jeb Bush. Of course, Jeb was going to win. But as soon as Donald Trump jumped in the race, no one ever interviewed Jeb Bush ever again, unless it was to ask him to respond to the thing that Trump said the night before. That's it. Trump sucked all the oxygen out of the room for the rest of the campaign. Do you remember this? I distinctly remember. I, I was on the radio when this happened. Watch this happen in real time. Trump would have a press conference at, let's say, uh, noon. Right? So Donald Trump press conference at noon. The media would start taking it at 9 a.m. At 9 a.m., They'd show a, a picture, just video of an empty podium with the word Trump on the front of it. Free advertising for three hours. And they would tell, oh, awaiting Trump press conference. <laughs> That's something. We're awaiting a Donald Trump press conference. And then uh, it was supposed to be at noon, but he'd you know, start at two. So it's another two hours. of, <laughs> And then he'd talk for 90 minutes. 
And they, of course, would cover the whole thing. And and then by that time, it's it's the uh, late afternoon and evening shows, and that's all they talk about all night, reacting to Trump's speech. And they did that every single day, and they took every single one of his rallies. No other Republican had a chance. And the media loved it. Great ratings. And for them, it was this fun clown sideshow because, of course, Hillary was going to win. So we here in the media, we can mess around and play these speeches from Donald Trump because he's obviously going to lose. And then we'll get on to Hillary Clinton being president. This is Ann Coulter, just to give you a taste of how improbable, like it wasn't even improbable, it was impossible. It was this idea that Donald Trump would ever win the presidency. This is Ann Coulter on Bill Maher's show four days after Donald Trump announced, listen to the laughter. Okay, here we are. And which Republican candidate <clears throat> has the best chance of winning the general election? Of the declared ones right now, Donald Trump. <laughs> I especially like well, what about the, of all of them? I mean, is Scott Walker? laughter from the audience. Um, <laughs> I just realized, I've heard that clip a thousand times. I just realized the question wasn't who has the best chance of winning the presidency. Donald Trump, he, she was just asked which candidate has the best chance of winning the nomination for the Republicans. And it got that much laughter. Isn't that amazing? So they never thought Trump would win, clearly. But Donald Trump won because he came across as authentic. Authenticity is one of the great values in our culture today. And Trump had it. Dave Chappelle made this point on Saturday Night Live the other day that, that Trump would come out and say the system's rigged and the moderator whoever an interviewer would say well how do you know it's rigged and Trump would say because I benefit from it being rigged and no one's ever heard anyone say that before that authenticity obviously appealed to something deep inside of people clearly people have been longing for that. And then Hillary would say, well, Donald Trump, you took advantage of tax loopholes and you didn't pay all of your taxes. And Trump would say, that's because I'm smart. Trump was an outsider who was enough on the inside that he knew how to blow it up. And we, the people wanted that. We wanted someone to go in there and tear the whole thing down, drain the swamp. And then he won. And everyone was shocked. I remember I heard one woman say she was terrified of President Trump's victory because now he was going to round up all the Muslims and put them in internment camps. <laughs> what? He didn't do that, by the way. He didn't, he didn't do that. That fear was unfounded. <laughs> so he won, and the media just had this absolute nonstop freakout for four years. They assumed the worst of everything he ever did. The fun was over. Trump was now the greatest tyrant who ever lived. Sure, we gave him nonstop press for the year of the campaign, but we didn't think he was going to win. So now the goal is to destroy him by any means necessary. Everything he did was the worst. Everything, oh, nonstop. One time he, he was talking about how brutal MS-13 gang members are who have come across the border into America. And Nancy Pelosi came back and said, oh, everyone has a spark of divinity in them. They were defending MS-13 gang members. Trump enacted a ban on people coming in from terrorist countries, and the left called it a Muslim ban. 
even though it did not ban people from the biggest Muslim countries like Indonesia and India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and Nigeria and Egypt, who all have more Muslims than Iran. And it also banned people from non-Muslim countries like Venezuela and North Korea, but it didn't matter. It was the Muslim ban. Also, it was a list that was put together by Barack Obama, but it didn't matter. It was all Trump's fault. Speaking of that, Trump, of course, put kids in cages. Even though the pictures that the media showed were from when Obama was president. Oops. One of my favorite memories is when AOC said that the illegal immigrants who are in the detention centers, things are so bad in the in these facilities that they're forced to drink from toilets. That's how bad it is there. These immigrants are so desperate, they're on their hands and knees lapping up water from a disgusting communal toilet in Trump's America. <laughs> That's not what it was. It turns out the toilets had the water fountain and sink on the top of the toilet. So it was a toilet-sink combination. But it doesn't matter. Everything was always Trump's fault. And all the, do you remember all this talk about, oh, we can't have Donald Trump near the nuclear button, the nuclear codes? And he actually de-escalated tensions with Iran and other hostile countries. Now, why do I bring this up? Why, why relive all of this? The media did not think that he was going to win in 2016, so they gave him a ton of attention. And then he did win. So the media and big tech are going to make sure that they never let that happen again. They're going to be sure that that never happens again. They will do anything it takes to make sure that that never happens again. The most pivotal moment in Trump's presidency was COVID. That was the turning point. Specifically, March 16th, 2021, to the point where you can, there's two, there's two parts to the Trump presidency. It's January 2017, all the way to March 16th, 2021, and then the rest. <laughs> uh, that's when he announced 15 days to slow the spread. And that was the moment it all came crashing down because he let Fauci take over. And then COVID led to mail-in voting, which of course was wildly insecure, and Trump lost the election. And that's where we are today. Trump feels miffed. He wants revenge on all of it. And he feels that no one's more likely to win the Republican nomination. So why not do it again? That's how we got here. That's how I see it. How we got to where we are. So what's the root of this? What are, what are we going to chat about? What are we going to try to learn from this moment that we're in right now? Obviously, there's a ton to talk about here. And we will for the next two years in this campaign. But I want to chat about this because the number one criticism that I ever always hear about Donald Trump, the, the, the great analysis on Donald Trump is that he is prideful and he's a narcissist. So let's talk about that, that word narcissist. My answer to that accusation is, of course he is. Right? It's like, Trump's a narcissist. No, he's not. No, no. Trump's a narcissist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So are you, by the way. So am I. We're all narcissists. Know that first. One of the most important lessons I learned from Jordan Peterson is that when you read history, we always think that we'd be the good guys. <laughs> are you so sure? When you read history, you have to imagine that you're the perpetrator. You're the bad guy in the story. He said he was talking to a patient of his. It was a young woman in her 20s who was raised, like almost everyone, to believe that people are deep down good. This is wrong. This is false. 
but our modern worldview says that people are good. So we told her to read a book. The book is called Ordinary Men, Reserve Police Battalion 101 and the Final Solution in Poland. And it's a story about German policemen, regular, normal, good people who were sent to Poland during World War II. And while there, they became absolutely brutal monsters. Their true nature came out. Here's Jordan Peterson. And Browning documents their transformation from the guy next door, you know, the policeman next door, into people who were taking naked pregnant women out into fields and shooting them in the back of the head. And it's a brutal book because, well, these men, it's like, it just ruined them to do that to themselves. They were physically ill during the process of transformation, you know, and, and he do, does a very good job of documenting how an ordinary person transforms into a, a Nazi murderer. And I had to read that. I said, but don't you compartmentalize it. This is about you, right? This isn't about someone else. When you read history, you think, well, that's about someone else. It's like, unless maybe you're a victim and you identify with the victims. It's a very rare person who reads history and identifies with the perpetrators. But unless you read history and identify with the perpetrators, then you don't understand history at all. And so who wants to understand that? And I get my students, I said, look, I've told them this for 30 years. Here's something you have to understand. If you were in Nazi Germany, the statistical probability is overwhelming that you would have been yeah. a perpetrator. Yeah. Right? You think you would have rescued Anne Frank. It's like, think again. Those people are very, 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 very rare. They put their lives on the line to do that. They put their families' lives on the line to do that. You think you're one of those people? Really? It's like that. All that means is that you know nothing. You know nothing about yourself. You know nothing about people. You know nothing about politics or economics or history. It's a harsh lesson. Try that from now on. When you read history, read it knowing that you would have been the perpetrators. You would have been the bad guy in the story. It's so easy to be like, well, I never would have been a Nazi. I would have stood up. To, I never would have owned slaves. It's amazing. One day in a hundred years, people will look back on abortion today in America the same way, hopefully, that we look back at slavery. Right Today you look back at slavery and you're like, how could anyone have allowed that to happen? And I pray that in a hundred years, people look, hopefully sooner, people look back and say, how could anyone have allowed that to happen? How could anyone have sat back and just let a, a million babies be aborted every year? Like, how, how, what monsters they were. And people today, we think we're so wonderful, so smart, so astute, so holier than thou. And the people who hate Trump, oh, I am morally superior to everyone else because I oppose Trump. Well, those same people also support abortion and transgender surgeries on children and just policies that inflict a lifetime of pain and misery on people in the inner city with crime and poverty and drugs. Don't go thinking you're holier than thou. You're the narcissist. <laughs> you're the, we're all narcissists. You think Trump's the only narcissist? You don't think Obama was a narcissist? I love this bit from Seinfeld. President's a weird job. <laughs> How do you think, see, people say, I think the president might be crazy. Oh yeah, so? <laughs> well, what do you expect? Anybody who thinks they should be the president. There's your test right there. If you actually think for real in your head that you should be, the, you're out of your mind, you're crazy. You're out of your mind, okay? 
These are crazy ideas. Who should be the most powerful person in America, the commander-in-chief of the armed forces and leader of the free world? You know, I gotta say, that sounds like me. <laughs> it seems like something I would be good at. I can't think of anyone better than me to be in charge of absolutely everything. Because I'm insane is the rest of that sentence. Because I'm insane. And we're all narcissists. Trump is a reflection of that. He says what we're all thinking, right? He, he Trump has for his whole life boasted in ways that we wish we could boast. And people have always admired it. If you watch that Donahue interview I mentioned with Trump in 1987, he'll, well, let's just play a clip. So this is Donahue, 1987, and, and uh, he's talking about his book, Art of the Deal. And listen to the crowd's reaction. On his enemies, if, I, if people screw me, I screw, I screw back in spades. I mean, is there something wrong with that? Uh, tell me. Um, is there something wrong with it? The camera there pans to the crowd, and especially the women in the audience all have this, this look of in intense admiration. <laughs> Isn't he wonderful? And they're laughing and they're applauding because he's being honest. As Phil says, I don't like mincing words because what difference does it make? Again, I'm not running for office, so it doesn't matter. I can stand up here and unlike a lot of people that I watch, I can say what I think. He's always been bold. You're fired. Right? And people like that because we are rarely that bold. We feel like we can't. And he was. And people would always articulate this as he says it like it is. Remember back in 2016, why do you like Trump? And people couldn't really put it to words. They say, oh, he says it like it is. So you can call it honesty, sure. But we also admire his narcissism because we're all narcissists. And what the Trump haters don't understand is in their hatred of Trump, there's no reflection of how much you yourself are like Trump. <laughs> right? They're never, it's always, oh, Trump is just awful. And what they're really saying is, how great am I? In my opposition to Donald Trump, I am marking him as bad and therefore me as good because it takes good to identify bad. I'm so good. I really notice how bad he is when no one else does. Oh, and you notice how bad he is? Well, I'm better than you because I notice I think he's really, really bad. The more bad I think he is, the better I am. The more I talk about how terrible Trump is, the more amazing and perfect and wonderful I am. And people got caught in this own trap of narcissism while complaining about Trump's narcissism. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you that we're all narcissists unless, or I should say until, and we'll get to that in a second. Let me list the characteristics of narcissism. And uh, so I'm going to read them. And first, we'll put them through the prism of Trump. right? And then I'll ask you to rewind this and see if, it's, uh, if it fits you. <laughs> so this is the DSM-5 uh, list of the nine key narcissistic traits. Okay, So first of all, do Trump. Exaggerated feelings of superiority and self-importance. Yes or no, what do you think? Number two, regular fantasies about personal power, intelligence, success, or attractiveness. Number three, a firm believer in personal specialness. Number four, a narcissist has a strong need for attention, praise, and admiration from other people. Number five, entitled behavior, such as a desire for special treatment. Six, a habit of using manipulation tactics. Seven, low empathy or disinterest in the emotional needs of other, others. 
Number eight, a tendency to envy others or assume that others envy them. And number nine, characteristic of a narcissist, arrogance and scorn for others. So there you go. There's the nine. Now, uh, please uh, rewind. <laughs> I'll give you a second to open up your phone and find the reverse 15 second button and click it twice and put you through the filter. As I read those again, instead of thinking about Donald Trump, think about you. Go ahead. You can do that now. Now you think it was Slater. You didn't want re rewind it, did you? You didn't rewind. I'm telling you, seriously, like, rewind. Take, them, take a second. Rewind it. Oh, you don't want to. Of course not. No one. No narcissist wants to admit it. Now you think, oh, Slater, that's not me because I'm shy. Yeah. Okay. People think that narcissists have to be loud in their boasting, but there's also covert narcissism as well. Instead of uh, loud boasting and drawing of attention, uh, let me quote, this is from psychcentral.com. Uh, someone with covert narcissism might instead seek admiration indirectly by putting their own work down, performing acts of kindness or complimenting other, others to get compliments back. That's a good one. Oh, this isn't really that good. <laughs> oh, no, it's great. Right? They're gonna, and they're like, hey, you, great haircut. And really, you just want them to be like, great haircut. You too, right? That's a covert narcissist. Spending lots of time fantasizing about earning the recognition they feel they deserve. So it's all like internalized. Expect special treatment and feel slighted when you don't receive it. Ignore people they believe have wronged them hold lengthy grudges and fantasize about revenge and move on quickly to the next relationship without saying why. So even introverts can be narcissists as well. In short, it's when you put you in the center of the universe. Right? You're a narcissist when you put you in the center of the universe. And of course you do. Every single person does. You don't think, all right, here, here's the shortest test. Here's the shortest test of all right? to determine whether or not you're a narcissist. Let's say you're in a group of people. It could even be your family. And someone takes a picture of you and, and a group of people. And then they hand you the phone to look at the picture. Who do you look at first? <laughs> Who do you look at first? Of course. And when you make a judgment on the picture, whether this is a good picture or a bad picture, what do you make that based off of? Of course. It's all based on how you look. Are your eyes open? How's your hair? Are you smiling at the right time? You don't even look at anyone else. You don't look at anything else. Everyone looks at themselves first. So self-reflection is a healthy thing. No one ever wants to do it, of course. It's way easier to bash the other guy. So my point of this segment here is you have to read history with the acknowledgement that you're the perpetrator. And if that's true for history, then it's also true in the present moment as well. So let's lament narcissism. I don't, I'm just telling you how it is. Sorry, I keep dropping my pen. I'm just telling you how it is. I, I'm not, I don't like this. I hate that we're like this. I hate the fall. I hate that we're so conceited. I hate that I'm so conceited, so selfish and arrogant, even against my own wife. I, like, I don't even put her first most of the time. And the Bible says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, what did he do? Gave himself up for her to death. I don't even put my wife first like I should, let alone strangers. C.S. Lewis said pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And that's just people. And it's hard to live in a country 
full of narcissists. And social media and all the rest has just thrown gas on the fire. And I lament that we have a political system that rewards this. We have a political system that rewards the most narcissistic people, the most boastful. I wish we acted as if humility were a virtue in America. It's just not. And I, and I don't think that's going to change in 2024, unfortunately. Maybe it will, but I don't think so. So let's give a little historical perspective, biblical piece. Uh, we'll do a little history first. Uh, the, the word narcissism comes from the Greek myth uh, of, of a young man, Narcissus. He was a Greek hunter, very handsome, and he went out into the woods and he got thirsty. So he went to a pond and he bent over to drink some water and he saw his own reflection in the water and he fell in love with himself or the reflection, which was himself. He fell so deeply in love with this reflection that he never left it. And the myth says either he killed himself or another version says he just laid there and wasted away in his unrequited love. He fell in love with his own beauty. Narcissism and pride, very similar, but this, this episode is not about pride. We talked about pride in the October 6th episode. We talked about King Uzziah from 783 BC. I'm certain we'll be talking about pride a lot, uh, but narcissism is a little version of pride. Uh, so l- l- I'm not going to talk about King Uzziah. We already did. Let me share a different story. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's Luke 8, and uh, Jesus tells a parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So the Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders who thought they were better than everyone else. They kept the law. They followed the law better than anyone. The word literally means one who is separated. Pharisee means one who is separated. They're better than you. And then the tax collector, the tax collectors, by the way, the Pharisees were loved. They were valued. They were lifted up and praised. We look at them as the bad guys today, but they were the good guys back then. And the uh, tax collectors were hated because among other reasons, they would skim money off the top. So if your tax was $100, they would take 120 and then pocket the difference. So they both go to the temple to pray. The good guy, the Pharisee, and the bad guy, the tax collector. Jesus says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, aren't I wonderful? Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And then one of the all-time great lines, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's awesome. That's as good as it gets. The Greek actually says um, that the tax collector would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. What does he mean by the sinner? Uh, We don't know. It's either he's uh, like the sinner among the two of them, Or like, I'm the sinner of sinners. I'm the worst sinner. I mean, Paul went on to say he's the chief among sinners. Because when you understand your depravity, 
you're the more great, the more grateful you are for being saved. And then the more humble you'll be. The number one way that our modern culture has pushed Jesus, the savior out of our culture is to convince people that that you don't need to be saved, (laughs) that you're good, or at least you're better than that guy, just like the Pharisee. And if you don't need to be saved, you don't need a savior. So you just got to convince people that, you know, you're actually pretty good deep down. You're, and, I, you know, and people know they're not good. So, well, at least you're better than that guy. And you can literally ask people in jail, what are you in jail for? Uh, murder. Okay. Well, I mean, I didn't murder a family member. I mean, I mean I'm not like that guy. And then the murder, like, what? Well, you murdered your own mother. Yeah. But I mean, that guy, uh, you know, molested children. I mean, right? Like, they, everyone can always point to someone else, but it's not on a curve. That's. The truth is everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And don't think that pride or narcissism is only for the rich and powerful and the famous. It's all of us. I mentioned my sons and Nick, you, of course, I, I, I've, uh, I have thought some shameful things these last two, two weeks. The last episode, I, I talked about this epiphany I had of how powerless I am over everything and how I have no control over whether his heart keeps beating or his lungs keep breathing. I have no control, no, no power whatsoever. Only God does. And it's a beautiful thing to realize. But here I am just like, we're still in the midst of it. Like he's still in the NICU, but he's getting a little better. And even in just, he's getting better. I'm, and I'm forgetting that lesson. And I'm going around thinking that I'm better than the other people in the hospital. And it's like, oh, well, of course my son's healing. Of course he's getting better. Oh, Oh, God, forgive me. I shouldn't even be admitting this here. I feel so terrible about the thoughts I've had, thinking I'm better than other people at the children's hospital. And, And my pride just crushes empathy, crushes it. And I'm not truly humble until I realize it. that I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to have a son alive. I don't deserve to have my heart beating. I don't, I don't deserve anything I have. Only by the grace of God. And that's why Jesus said, when you exalt yourself, I'll humble you. <laughs> I'll do it. You humble yourself and I will exalt you. Jonathan Edwards said, we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterizes true Christianity. God has it. Uh, uh, Let me give you one more. Uh, Deuteronomy 7. So this is God uh, speaking through Moses. And Moses said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, it goes on. But the point is God will bring you here. He will drive out these nations, seven nations that are larger than you. (laughs) Meaning it's not you who's going to win these battles. It is me through you winning them for you, but really for my glory. But I'm in charge here. So that's Deuteronomy 7.1. Here's Deuteronomy 7.7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. For you were the fewest of all peoples. God chose the, chose the Jews as his chosen people because they were 
the fewest so that they had nothing else to boast in other than God. Uh, if back in that time, let's say God chose the Egyptians as his chosen people and the Egyptians, you know, conquered a bunch of people, then people would conclude, oh, well, they, they were powerful because they have such a great military. <laughs> no, God chose the smallest people so that people would know who to give the credit to. Judges 7, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me saying my own strength has saved me. So Gideon started with 22,000 men and then he cut it down to 10,000 men. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. So he cut the 10,000 down to 300. So Gideon started with 22,000. He was going to go conquer uh, these people with with 22,000 men. And God said, no, 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 do it with 300. And they did. They won with 300. And now they, of course, knew who to give the credit to. So instead of thinking you're successful because you're so great, realize who gave you your success. And why you? Well, it's not because you're great. It's probably the exact opposite. So Slater, what's in my control here? It's really tough because we have all grown up in a culture that says life is all about you. You're great. You're amazing. Self-esteem is the most important thing in the world. Everyone's got to feel good about themselves all the time. So we're just going to tell you how wonderful you are. So it's really difficult to see our own wretchedness, which like everyone knows amazing grace, right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see we, we need people in our culture to first realize what a wretch they are. What a wretch I am. The original dictionary definition of wretch is a person sunk in vice. I was a person sunk in vice. And I needed to be saved. So what's in your control is asking God to find the pride within you, to find the narcissism within you and root it out of your heart every single day. It's the only way. And whatever it takes to get that narcissism out of your heart, do it. Do it. For me, it's the realization that I'm not capable of anything. God has made everything possible. And that prevents me from taking the credit, humbles me out. And another thing that humbles me out is the reality that I'll be forgotten like, like right away. But like at best, I'll be forgotten in a few generations. Like even like, I don't even, I don't, I know my great grandpa, his name's Walter. I don't know anyone before that. <laughs> so, and that's my family. So, so don't stress about fame, your fame. You got, you have none. Who won the Super Bowl two years ago? I just had to look it up. Unless you're a Buccaneers fan, you already forgot who won it two years ago. The Epic of Gilgamesh, we're running long here. <laughs> Sorry, got a lot to say. The Epic of Gilgamesh, it's the, it's the oldest written story we have. Gilgamesh is the ultimate narcissist. He sleeps with every woman before their wedding day. He just picks fights with all the guys in town constantly all the time. He's destroying his city with his pride. So he goes on all these adventures and they end up being very, very humbling. Uh, his hubris caused, caused his best, his only friend to die. So he starts to humble out. And, and uh, uh, mortality is, is, is something he first starts to think about. And he returns to the walls of the great city that he built. And he, he figures, like the, the, the concluding thought of the story is that at least these walls that he built will last forever. They're gone. I no one knows where the walls <laughs> One of my favorite poems ever is Percy Shelley, Osmandius. Uh, this man 
traveling through the desert and he finds the remains of a statue. It's just the two legs and the feet remaining of a statue. And the pedestal, pedestal says, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Like, look at this grand city. And there's nothing there at all. There's nothing around the statue anymore. It's all just sand. It's all eroded away. Whatever mighty works he built in his ancient cities is gone. <laughs> he thought everything he did would live forever, just like every good narcissist does. So think about whatever it is that humbles you out. I think about those things. And pray to be humbled. And let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. To God instead of yourself. Final thought. Final thing to meditate on. What do we do about Donald Trump? <laughs> uh, all of this is no excuse for bad behavior or negative characteristics in a president. I just want to use this as an opportunity to look within first. Psalm 75, 4. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Horn was a symbol of power and victory. So God was warning the ungodly not to lift up their horn. He later says, oh, well, I'll cut it, I'll cut it off. <laughs> I'll humiliate you. I'll humiliate you. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. There's only one thing you should be boasting about. That's today's episode. Grateful you're here. You made it through this, this long, this is a long one. Uh, please leave a five-star review if you like it. Got to get to a thousand. Once we hit a thousand five-star reviews, I'll stop bothering you about it. <laughs> See, leave a five-star and then a sentence. Like a little like, oh, it's great or whatever you want to say. Um, that'd be awesome. We got to get to a thousand. It breaks the algorithm and whatever. It's a dumb game, but you got to play. Um, thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Politics by faith. Mike Slater.